Once again, we bring you Home Gastronomics, the podcast where we bring the professional chef into your home kitchen. This episode is all about salads, the components, the types, and how to make a fantastic salad even more enjoyable. Of course, we've also got an all-new word of the day, as well as continuing our discussion about food trends. Remember, it would be pretty cool of you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help our notoriety by giving a like or review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Also, consider becoming a patron with a small monthly donation to keep this thing rolling forward. We'll have all of the links in the show notes for you to click on. Thanks! Welcome back to all of you fabulous people. Let's talk about everything salads. There are so many different options and types of salads that it can get confusing sometimes. I want to help clear it up for you so you can focus more on creating and enjoying a stupendous crisp meal. First, it's important to understand the components of a salad and the keys to elevating a salad. The components are the categories within which you decide your options. They consist of the base, the body, the garnish, and the dressing. More details on these as we work our way through. When you're trying to elevate anything in the food world, you have a couple of keys to remember in helping you make decisions. These keys are balance, color, and texture. You'll find that these seven things reach through all kinds of salads within the three types that are out there. The first type of salad that most people don't even think about is a bound salad. Bound salads are cooked meats, pasta, potatoes, fruit, and vegetables that are bound together with a dressing. Common bound salads that you might think of are chicken salad, tuna salad, pasta salad, and potato salad. The combinations can vary greatly. The unifying feature of bound salads is that each one consists of one or more ingredients held together in one cohesive form. The agent that binds it all together is usually a vinaigrette, mayonnaise-based, or similar dressing. Recently, yogurt has become being used more as a binding agent, especially for fruit or vegetable-bound salads. How cohesive the salad is can range from tightly packed to flaky and easily separated, but the ingredients should be evenly distributed throughout the salad. Bound salads can be served by themselves or used as part of the body of a composed salad. Think about some egg salad served on a bed of greens. Some bound salads are incorporated into sandwiches, while others are served as side dishes to a larger meal. It is impossible to list all of the combinations that can be used to produce bound salads. And there are so many ways to prepare a bound salad that writing a general procedure is near impossible as well. The best we can shoot for is some guidelines that you can use to rein in your creative juices. Making bound salads, you should choose ingredients with flavors that complement each other. Choose ingredients with color. This will turn a normal salad into a beautiful salad. Make sure ingredients are uniform in size and cut. They should be small enough to be eaten in one bite with a fork. 
any foods that need temperature control for safety should be fully cooked and properly cooled before being used. Lastly, use dressing sparingly. A little goes a long way. The goal is to enhance the flavors, not mask them. Fruit salads should be made as close to serving time as possible, not being made ahead of time and allowed to sit. If fruit sits too long, the flesh often becomes soft, leaving a mushy salad, or browns quickly, making the salad look unappetizing. If the fruit salad is dressed, it should be sweet, made with honey or yogurt. Some liquors can also be used as dressings for fruit salads to add a unique enhancement. The next salad is known as a composed salad. It is a green salad that usually has a more elegant look. All of the ingredients are decoratively arranged on a plate in a very planned manner. Some composed salads that you might be familiar with are caprese salad, cob salad, chef salad, and niçoise salad. Composed salads also make full use of the four components of a salad. The base is a layer of greens lining the plate. Your presentation may want the leaves to be flat or cup-shaped. The body, being the main ingredient, might be more greens or a different kind of greens. It might also consist of another kind of salad, like a bound salad or a fruit salad. Garnish is added to a salad for color, texture, and flavor. It can be meats, nuts, herbs, croutons, The choices of warm or cold garnishes is limitless, but they should always complement and balance the body of the salad. The last component, the dressing, is usually ladled over the top of a composed salad after it's already been plated. The individual components may also be dressed prior to being arranged on the plate. If you have time at home, A simple composed salad can be a nice change from the normal home salad that is found in people's dinners. The last, most common salad, is the tossed or mixed salad. It is another green salad where all of the greens, garnishes, and dressing is mixed together so you get some of everything in each bite. A Caesar salad is one example of this. This is probably the salad that you grew up with and the big focus of where we are going to find some opportunities to elevate today. Back in episode two about hamburgers, we talked about some of the different kinds of lettuces that are used as salad greens. All of this info still stands true. Iceberg lettuce is still horrible. Romaine is still good, probably the most popular mixed green for salads. You then have some pre-mixed salads, such as spring mix, which is a mix of spinach, arugula, radicchio, frizzy, and often a few other types of leaf lettuce. Spring mix is not bad, but I think it's overdone. It's available year-round and is virtually the only thing you find on the shelves at your local grocer, besides romaine or romaine mixes. Imagine eating nothing but oatmeal for breakfast. You can see how that would get, well, bland. Now you get the problem with spring mix. The flavors of what makes up spring mix blend well, but you could also do some amazing things with other mixes that you might want to experiment with. 
we'll talk about some of the assorted lettuces and greens, including their flavor profile, so you can make some choices about your experimentation. Let's be clear. We're going to be talking about the base and body parts of the salad. For all of the greens, you want to make sure that you select ones that are free of discoloring, blemishing, bruising, or spots. Now, on to the types of greens. We would be remiss to not mention iceberg lettuce at all, despite my feelings about it. It is the most common of all lettuce, even though it is declining in popularity now that more of a variety of greens are becoming available. It's a very pale green-whitish with a mild flavor. Of course, I read this as no color with no taste. Romaine, being the second most common lettuce, has long leaves with thick midribs, which makes good bases for composed or bound salads if you're going for a longer visual impact. Romaine still has a fairly mild flavor, but it is enough to stand up to the strongly flavored dressings like the Caesar dressing. When making salads from romaine, you really want to remove the midrib as it has a bitter taste that affects the rest of the salad if not removed. Cut the rib out, and then cut or rip the remaining leaf into small squares or a large chop. Boston lettuce, also known as bib or butter, has a soft texture with a buttery flavor. The whole leaves form nice cups when separated from the head. This makes for another nice delivery for composed salads. The leaves are soft and pliable, but hearty enough to stand up to some of the heavier dressings. Leaf lettuce grows in bunches instead of heads, with nice ruffled leaves in both red and green varieties. They're easily damaged and bruised if not handled properly. Because of this, they are better when used with lighter dressings. These tender leaves have a milder flavor than some of the greens we'll be talking about next. There are two unique categories, baby lettuces and microgreens, that I want to touch on quickly. Baby lettuces are the immature versions. They have less bitter and more subtle flavors than the mature versions of lettuces that we just talked about. They're also more tender and delicate, though. Microgreens have gotten a lot of attention lately and is probably becoming a nice trend to keep an eye on. These are the first leaf sprouts of any edible green. They're extremely delicate and should be hand-picked. They are wonderful for garnishes on either salads or entrees. Belgian endive is not technically a lettuce as it falls in the chicory family, but it is similar to lettuce growing in small, tight heads with elongated leaves that have a firm shape. While the leaf itself can be bitter in my experience, it makes for a wonderful serving platform for composed salads or even some hors d'oeuvres or entrees. Now on to some other types of greens. There is a slew of edible greens, such as dandelion, sorrel, watercress, alfalfa spouts, and many kinds of flowers. I'm only going to focus on the more common ones that you'll find in your local grocer or farmer's market. Radicchio is red and cabbage-looking, almost pinkish. The color makes it very popular for a pop in tossed and composed salads. It does have a bitterish flavor, however, 
and needs to be mixed sparingly with other greens that will balance it out. Arugula has broad toothed leaves, often in a dark green color. Its strong, spicy, and peppery flavor lends to adding zip when combined with other mixed greens and is rarely served by itself. Spinach is not just Popeye's favorite food. It is crisp with a rich, almost sweet flavor. It is delicate and goes well with a variety of food options. Baby spinach is extremely popular as a salad green. Spinach is one of the greens that you definitely want to remove the midrib from to avoid the bitterness found there. Very simply, fold the leaf in half and pull the stem down to remove the midrib. I can hear you asking, what do I do with all this newfound knowledge about salad greens? Well, hopefully it will inspire you to create your own tasty combinations. Recently, I planned a salad course of baby spinach and arugula with microgreens that went with either a strawberry vinaigrette or a chili balsamic vinaigrette. They were both amazing. A nice red leaf lettuce added to that mix sounds really good and would impart some color. Of course, there are so many other things that you could add to the salad to enhance it. So, let's dive into garnishes. Garnish is what is really going to give your salad those three keys of balance, color, and texture. Let's talk about those keys and what they mean for a minute. Balance incorporates the other keys as well as the four components that make up a salad. A balanced salad will have a good even mix of body and garnish. It will be neither too wet with dressing nor too dry because of a lack of dressing. Properly balanced color will be of a ratio that is not a bevy of green salad with a small amount of color, but should not be so much color that it does not appear to be a green salad, if that's what you're having. Balanced texture will have some crunch, some crisp, some tender, and some soft. The best thing about garnish is that the options are infinite, allowing you to create unique salads that will create a dining experience. You can add some fresh fruit to balance the flavor out and give a nice zing of color. Some chopped walnuts, sunflower seeds, or even granola will give good crunch and texture to the salad. Adding some cheese from a quality shredded cheddar to a crumbly blue or feta and beyond adds a complex flavor that might finish off your creation. Adding protein as a garnish to your salad does not need to be limited to sliced chicken breast on top of a Caesar salad. A well-seared steak sliced up is an excellent topping for an entree salad. Cold diced ham or turkey is classic for a chef salad. Some excellent salads have egg as well. You can always see chopped, hard-boiled eggs on a salad bar. But why not go a different route and slice the egg into lengthwise wedges? It would be cleaner and have a much more visual appeal. Fish, especially the mild salmon, could add a nice balance to a salad. Keep in mind that fish is tricky, though. With the way that it flakes, you would want to use a whole portion and not chopped up cat food. This, of course, takes just the right presentation of the rest of the components of the salad. 
The main idea is to always think outside of the box and try things. It might not always have the right taste or look exactly how you hoped, but it's a learning experience that will help you to elevate your cooking. It's always a good idea to taste an ingredient by itself before using it, especially if you're unfamiliar with it. This will give you an idea of what its attributes are and how it might interact with the other ingredients in your dish. This will help with balance and the complexities of layering flavors. Now you can hit your own kitchen and try something other than the usual store-bought bowl of lettuce for your salad. Combine it with a personal homemade vinaigrette and your family and friends will go wild. This word is going to look at bouquet garnis and sachets. Both are used to introduce flavors, seasoning, and aromatics into stocks, soups, and sauces. The makeup and delivery varies slightly between the two. There can even be differences in what makes up either, depending on what cuisine you're working with. A bouquet is usually fresh parsley stems, thyme, celery, leeks, and carrots, tied together in a bundle with twine or string. It may also contain a bay leaf. A sachet will commonly consist of peppercorns, bay leaves, parsley stems, thyme, cloves, and sometimes garlic. All of the seasonings are wrapped and tied into cheesecloth. The exact amount of ingredients for both depends on the amount of liquid they are meant to flavor. The reason that we use bouquets and sachets is so that we can easily remove them from the finished product. We love the flavor that it's imparted by fresh herbs and seasonings, but who wants to be enjoying their soup to all of a sudden bite into an extremely harsh peppercorn or have their perfect smooth sauce ruined by the remnants of a branch of thyme? Now that's a thing you know. This is about the time that I would shout out to our patrons. I do want to thank all of my listeners and followers for everything you guys are doing. If you're able to do a little bit more, that would be pretty neat of you. Podbean's patron program is a great setup. A small monthly donation can help pay for the costs of the podcast, as well as catch some nifty treats for the patron. Like a shout out here. Check out our patron page at patron.podbean.com slash Home Gastronomics. Let us know if you have any questions about how it works or what we would do with it. Thanks! We've got a question from the Facebook page this week. My mom, yes... My mom would like some ideas for dinner on hot summer nights. First off, let me say that this woman is amazing. Her and my dad taught me a love for food and cooking from a very early age and imbued most of my food knowledge in me. That said, she's probably not going to like me for this. 
I was thumbing through my recipes and books for some inspiration. I came across the June 1975 issue of Family Circle magazine titled Carefree Summer Meals that my mom gave me. Flipping through it, I found a recipe that she marked with like a million little stars. It's for a stuffed chicken breast supreme. It is a tasty take on a cordon bleu using gruyere and salami topped off with a classical cheese sauce. Pair it with some lightly steamed veggies or even a store-bought rice pilaf and you have a quick and easy meal that looks like it took way longer to make than it really does. It is important to note that reading a recipe from 1975 really points out how food has changed over time. And you need to be aware of this when you're looking at recipes which are often poorly written from a professional perspective. If you followed a recipe to the word without considering slight changes in how food is produced now or what's available, you could end up with way too much food or food that is woefully over-seasoned, under-seasoned, or off-flavored. This recipe calls for four whole chicken breasts weighing out at about 12 ounces, cut in half. This means four chickens worth of breasts, or eight boneless skinless breasts. The sale of already processed boneless skinless chicken breasts is more prominent now than it previously was. Buying chicken breasts used to consist of bone-in, skin-on, often double breasts. Added hormones in modern years also produce a much larger volume breast, so it's not uncommon now to find a single chicken breast that could be almost twice the size of a breast in the 70s and 80s. Recently, I catered a banquet that used chicken. In figuring my portions, I found that the boneless, skinless breasts that I was looking at buying averaged 16 to 18 ounces each. This recipe has you pounding the breasts thin, but I find butterflying the breasts to be easier and gives you a better looking end result. You then stuff the breast with a mixture of the cheese and salami and pass it through a breading setup. Once it's breaded, bake it to perfection and make your cheese sauce. When ready, serve the chicken over your veggies or rice with a nice coat of the cheese sauce. I really like this dish, and obviously my mom recommends it too. I'll have the updated recipe in the blog for you to check out. Another idea for a simple meal on a hot summer night includes some entree salads which we should have some good ideas about now from earlier. A good home chicken Caesar salad would fit the bill. Simply roast off or grill some chicken breasts, slice it, and throw it on top of your Caesar salad. I think the main goal for a hot summer meal is quick and refreshing. You want to spend as little time as possible over a hot oven, and you don't want a heavy hot meal. Stews are generally unsuccessful ideas for summer meals, as well as most soups, even though they can be quick and simple. Setting up a sandwich station for your family requires very little effort and can be very rewarding. Get some nice artisan bread and quality cheese. You can make up some quick sauces and add some fresh vegetables. Then just let everyone have at it. The last quick and simple summer meal that I can think of is a classic. Throw some hamburgers and hot dogs on the grill. They cook so fast that you're not spending a lot of time in front of the heat. Serve them with some fresh potato and macaroni salads, perhaps a homemade slaw, and you've got a winner that everyone will enjoy. Well, 
That's all for this month, kids. Remember to check out our website and blog at www.homegastronomics.com. We're also on Facebook at Home Gastronomics, on Twitter at the Chef Chewy, C-H-E-W-I-E, and Home Gastronomics on Instagram. Do us a favor and hit that like or drop us a few reviews on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. We'd really appreciate you considering becoming a patron to support us as well. Keep the questions coming, and if there is a particular topic you'd love to hear about, let us know. Thanks for listening, guys.